I felt like God, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to, I, you know, I'm, I'm paying my tithes. I, I go to church every Sunday. I go to Bible study. I pray. I do intercessory prayer. I pray for other people. I go and witness to people. I'm not ashamed of who you are in my life. And you do this to me. You allow this to happen to me. Like, why would you allow this to happen to me? You want me to pray? Yes, I do. God, thank you so much for this time together, me and Vivian and her listeners, God. And I just, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to be able to come together with like-minded people and just to speak about your goodness. You are a gracious God, an awesome God, and you are full of wisdom and just things that you want us to be able to see and want us to be able to experience. So God, I ask that you be in the midst of this time together. Help us to gain whatever insight that you would want us to get from this conversation. And I ask, Lord, that you will use us um, to be purpose-driven people, to be able to speak not just for our own edification, but that our words will be able to reach and transcend all boundaries that would be in the midst, God, of hearing your word, God, that you will transcend it, that you will break down barriers and that you will soften hearts to hear the message, um, for people to hear the message of your goodness um, through real and raw testimony. And God, I ask that you will touch Vivian and just um, share with her what you would want her to ask um, with the with the understanding that if if just one person is out there listening, and that they and if they are impacted, touched by our message, then it is good. And God, we claim that, and we just ask that Your presence be with us. In Your name, we pray. Jesus, Amen. 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 Thank you so much. You're welcome. So, who is Fatima? Shoot, um, Fatima is um, the titles Fatima carries is she's a mother of four boys, a wife, 10 years, and a daughter, a, a sibling, the only girl out of five boys. And, um, but more than that, she is a child of God, um, a flawed person who is constantly striving to have God at the center of her heart and um, someone wanting to make a difference, wanting to make a, a solid difference in this world, um, one person at a time, one moment at a time. And so in that um, reaching, in that motivation or that drive, I am an author of a book called The Prescription is in the Dirt. 
And I am also a speaker, transformational speaker, where I come to platforms like this and share my story with the hopes that somebody is moved to the point of wanting to change some things in their life. And also a transformational consultant where I have resources on my website, um, FatimaC.com, where you can go in, people can go in and pull free resources to help them live a more intentional life, but also um, get download study guides that focuses on interpersonal issues, things that they may be struggling in and they just need some help, um, but don't want want everybody to know. So they can go onto the website and download all types of study guides, material that would help, that would ask deep questions to get to the root of what the issue is and to help to give them confidence and empowerment to change their life. Wow. Wow, my theme. (laughs) It can be a lot, (laughs) but but I know that God has called me to do it. So honestly, there is a lot of fulfillment that comes from doing the work. Yeah, yeah, and you're impacting so many lives. Thank you. (laughs) The name Fatima is it Fatima or Fatima? We pronounce it Fatima, but I love Fatima. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, and it 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 means a lot in different. in different cultures. And so, but I'm from America. I'm actually from Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, even though I live in Ohio, so my mom, she named me Fatima. But when I got older, probably around 13 years old, 12, 13 years old, um, we had Islamic friends who shared with me that my name meant daughter of a prophet. And so it definitely made me like my name more (laughs) because it, it has some deep, meaning to it. It helped me to to like it even when people messed it up. Um, but as my life went on, I realized just how meaningful the daughter of a prophet meant to my personal life because of the God that I serve. And he is the prophet. He is the all knowing. And I have given my life to him and I am his child. So being named Fatima and it coming down to the meaning of the daughter of a prophet is really pretty awesome when I think about the road that my life has taken. Yeah, yeah. Well, talking about that name, when we look at the name Fatima, we think of a Muslim. But right. when I read your book, <laughs> it was yeah. nowhere near that at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so my mom actually, we grew up um, Buddhist, and that was, um, it's considered Nichiren Daishonin Buddhism. Um, of course, um, people that follow that type of Buddhism would say it is the true Buddhism. Like all other Buddhisms aren't, you know, that's just how we do. <laughs> so when we believe something right, our way is the only way. And yeah. so, um, so yes, um, I grew up a Buddhist. My grandmother was a Buddhist. Um, I have aunts and uncles who are Buddhist. My mother, of course, was a Buddhist. I was a Buddhist. Since far back as I can remember, meaning I just um, grew into the Buddhism, um, re- Buddhist religion. And yeah. so it's an Asian religion. So um, I grew up Buddhist, but my mom named me. Um, she didn't know the history of the girl's name, but she named me based off of a beautiful black girl that she saw during her delivery of me. And she just thought the little girl was so beautiful that and she just was so enamored um, by the little girl trying to see the, see the babies in the room 
that she named me after her. Really, that is the story <laughs> of why she named yeah. me. She didn't know what it stood for. She didn't know the the culture or the or the background behind the name. She just thought the girl that carried the name was a beautiful little girl. And, and she thought that I was beautiful, of course, being a newborn and every parent thinks that. And so she named you me. Are. Well, thank you. <laughs> but as a kid, you know, we all think our babies are just, oh my God, gorgeous. Yeah. And so she named me Fatima. And it's just funny to me now that I had an Islamic name, or at least that's how it was introduced to me. The first person to tell me about my name was uh, uh, a Muslim brother that I had this name that was about uh, um, about the Muslim culture um, or the uh, well, yeah, the Muslim culture. And so um, that's what I went with. But I was a Buddhist carrying this Muslim name. And then I wound up becoming a Christian. So I just think that is awesome to be able to be someone who has these three pieces of spirituality that has Mm -hmm. really cultivated who I am. I mean, not everybody can say that. Not a lot of people can say that. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that is awesome. And I really feel that there is such a spiritual covering over my life because not only because of my name and the honor that I have, I, I learned to give it. And also um, my Buddhist upbringing, because that's how I grew up. And it taught me a lot about relations, uh, relating with people and just having morals and, and good character and then becoming a Christian and which and making um, Jesus the center of my life. Just being able to have those three experiences come all together just to make me who I am. I just think that's priceless. Wow, it is. It is. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. We value that part of you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Psalms chapter 139 verse 14, I feel it really relates to your story. Mm -hmm. And it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. When I think of that scripture and I think of your story, it has been a journey for you. And I'd like us to take that journey to a point where you believe you came to believe that you are who God says you are, Mm. not your experiences, not what you went through. So let's start from the basics, your background, how you grew up, your family structure and all that. Yeah, so very good question, Vivian. I'm going to try not to talk too much (laughs) because I'm a talker. (laughs) Um, So um, I would definitely say that um, I grew up in a one-parent home. My mother was the only um, a parent in our home. And like I said, I grew up with all brothers. I was the only girl. And, and that in itself can be rough, um, yeah. at least in my neighborhood where there was no precious little girl. It was, you have to, you, you know, I'm, I was raised just like they were raised rough, like they were raised rough. And, um, and my mom was very stressed and frustrated because of life and not having the, the help that, um, that she needed um, to be able to raise all of us. And so not from, the, not from the fathers, barely ever from the fathers, and just from the government and trying so hard to not live off of the government. So in that, that meant she often worked two jobs and she was rarely at home. So it was just really, really tough. It was a struggle for us to, to make it. And in just that alone is big, being able, having one one um, parent who is working two jobs, you barely see them. You sometimes 
don't have a lot of food, that alone is a lot. And you have four mouths to feed. Um, so that's a lot. But then on top of that were the experiences that I had. And so at the age of two, I was um, had a horrible accident. It was a horrible accident where I wound up being burned on 25% of my body. So that's primarily my legs and my feet. My feet are completely disfigured. And then I have the rest of the burns on my legs uh, all the way up almost to my to my butt it just burns and so um and so as a kid I had a horrible burn accident which made me have to get um, what's called a skin graft and just live with the burns on my body or the evidence of burns on my body at, at two years old I had to learn how to eat walk and talk all over again and so that's on top of the fact that you know this lifestyle is not ideal because we don't have much uh, my mom she married two men in, in that time frame. And one was physically abusive to me and my older brother because mainly because we were not his kids. I think that's why it was us over his, um, over his kids. And so whenever he would get drunk or upset, I guess, um, he would, he would beat me and my brother. And then once she divorced him and married someone else, he was sexually abusive. And so he sexually abused me at the age of 11. So all this has happened all the way up to the age of 11. At two, I was burned. Um, between that time, I was um, physically abused. And then at the age of 11, I was sexually abused. And on top of my mother just not being able to be there um, physically or even emotionally to support the trauma that I was going through to help me to get over it. And so I grew up carrying that trauma and tragedy on my back. All the way through youth, my 13, teenage years, 15, 17, 18, um, all the way th through a lot of my adulthood. And so um, I wound up thinking that I was um, leaving to be rescued by someone. And I married a man who, who seemed to be able to protect me from anybody ever hurting me again. And he wound up being the main person to hurt me for we were together. Um, well, we were married nine years. So for nine years, it was an abusive relationship. And so I just went from one abusive state to another abusive state. And that was early in my, um, I, I divorced him in like 31, I believe I was when I divorced him. But just that right there, that half of my lifetime, really, um, I'm, I'll be 47 next year. So that's a lot of my life that I spent in turmoil, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, it was very difficult to try to figure all that out. So most of my life, along with those tragedies, I struggled heavily with anxiety and depression. And I didn't even know what it was. I just knew that I thought a lot. I couldn't sleep because I had all these thoughts in my, my mind of worry, 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 worry. What if this happens? What if that happens? Trying to figure things out because I was used to living in a place where you had to figure things out, you know, you had to figure it out quick. It was like survival. And so when I was out of those situations, I still thought that way. And so I would stay up and lose sleep and not eat because I had to figure things out when things were going bad or seemed to be going bad. And I would make things so much worse than they probably were because it was in my head. And then that was coupled with depression when I couldn't figure it out. I felt like nothing would ever go right for me, I would sink into this very, this deep place of sorrow. And I remember feeling that way as a kid, 
but I didn't understand that it was depression. And so eventually I did get um, diagnosed with clinical depression and I did get some help, um, medical help to be able to handle or manage um, the anxiety and depression. But I never really understood why I was even that way. I just didn't understand that all the trauma that I had went through, all the tragedies and craziness that I had went through, all the bad decisions that I had made in that time frame also had to do with my state of mind. I hadn't put those two together. And so it took a lot of time for me to get to that place. And it really was a pinnacle moment for me where I just a a few years ago, where I really honestly felt like I wanted to end my life. I was truly contemplating putting a bag over my head and suffocating myself. And that was, and that was even when I had a, a pretty awesomely paying job, my kids were happy, had a full family. I had a new husband who was awesome. My kids were happy. We were in um, living in the nice parts of town like we'd always wanted to, thinking that that would make things better if we lived in a better t- place. And so we lived in the better place. I had the better car. I had the better job. Everybody seemed happy. And I was still thinking about ending my life. And it was in that moment where I realized that I needed to get some talk therapy Throughout that journey, I also had to, I also came to realize that I needed to get my walk right with God, that I had kind of walked away a bit and I was doing all the actions I was doing. You know, I was, I was going to Bible study. I was leading Bible study. I was um, singing and, you know, doing everything that I thought that I should do. I'm trying to bring people to, to Christ and to church and trying to be a good Christian, but I wasn't being honest with my life. I wasn't being honest with who who I was. I wasn't being honest with how my life was falling apart. I wasn't, I wasn't looking at that. I was just looking at the things that I was doing as some way of making me more saved or something. I don't know. (laughs) So um, it really took, it took till I was at a place where I was scared that I was actually going to act out on my suicidal thoughts. Um, It took me being afraid to go to sleep thinking that I wouldn't recognize myself in the morning, thinking that I was like a schizophrenic, just not understanding what was going on with me. It took that fear to make me stop and say, God, I need your help. And once I made that decision, my life would go down some some paths that really helped me to ultimately get to a place where I was um, afraid, but willing to look at my life for what it had become. And so afraid to look at my past because I thought that I had outgrew my past. And so I never, ever, ever stopped to look at my past. I never knew how. I was never taught how to do that. I was just taught to survive my past. And so going back and looking, going back and looking at my past and looking at the, the different things that had happened in my life from the physical abuse, the sexual abuse, the trauma from being burned. Um, the tragedy of losing a lo- losing a child at a young age and just all these things that had happened in my life, the bad decision making of the, the, the person that I dated and just the horrible things that came out of that decision. Looking at every single one of these situations that when I thought about them today, I still got immensely upset and crazed and just uncontrollable emotionally looking at those things and pulling back the layers on them. In other words, saying what happened in that situation? What part did it make sense to me? Why didn't it make sense to me? Who were the parties that played a part in it? Who was wrong? Who was right? Did I play a part? 
really dissecting those situations. And the more I got the courage to do that, dissect each event that happened in my life that was still causing me turmoil today, when I got the nerve to do that, I also got, I also gained freedom. And so with each situation that I stopped to look at, I gained more and more freedom and more and more confidence in who and the person I was becoming. And so I went through that process. It took about 10 months for me to walk through that process. And it's still an ever evolving process, right? It do, healing does not stop. But a huge part of the things that were keeping me bond, in bondage keeping me having horrible anxiety attacks, like five anxiety attacks out of seven days, um, five days, right back to back, just horrible anxiety, um, keeping me depressed and thinking that I wanted to end my life. Those things that I faced, I faced those things and I gained an immense amount of freedom to where I could honestly sit and say, God, now I understand. Now I understand that you delight in me, no matter what my situations have been. Now I understand that even though life happens, you protected me because I could have died so many times through those different situations. But in each situation, although they were painful, you kept me. And so if you kept me through all these situations, I, I have to believe there's a purpose and it isn't to just allow me to be miserable. There has to be a bigger purpose. All those things and having the courage to look at them um, catapulted me to a place where it was about me and God. It was no longer about the people that hurt me, but it was about me and God and the fact that God really cares for me and he really loves me. Because, again, I grew up in a home full of Buddhists. How on earth could I, did I become a Christian and God protect me through all these things, even when I wasn't serving him? How is that possible? It was possible because God saw me and he picked me and he chose me and he wanted to use my story for a moment, just like we're having now. And so going through that horrible, upsetting process where I thought I was going to lose my mind to where it made me fall on my knees and ask God to help me and to help me reclaim my mind, help me reclaim my thoughts, help me purify my mind so that I don't hurt myself and in, and in return hurt my family help me. And in that moment, God, God led me through um, the journey of getting help. It was not easy. Um, there were some definite painful moments because I was reliving things that I, that I, I didn't process. So those emotions were still there. But I will say that having the guts to do that process, do that work, I consider it a soul healing journey. Having the courage to do that soul, complete that soul healing journey is what um, allows me to walk in freedom today. It did not change um, or I didn't look for it to change anybody that was a part of my story. I looked for it solely to change me. And now there were people that did change in the process of me working through this, but it was all about God changing me and helping me to not um, be tortured by my past. And I'm so grateful that I did that work. And when I say soul healing journey, Vivian, I mean, when I was in a place where my, where I had to pay attention to my mental state, my physical state, my emotional state, and also my spiritual state, all those four components that are so critical to our spirit uh, being functioning, you know, in the way that 
that God would want it to function. My emotions, my mental, my physical, and my spiritual, stopping to listen to what these elements were saying to me. My body was saying something's wrong with you because I wasn't sleeping, because I was barely eating, and I was popping off at everybody and being angry and mean to everybody. My mental, I, I couldn't think clearly. I couldn't process anything. I was at work and still couldn't really function because I was all over the place in my head. Emotionally, I was a wreck. I was crying at the drop of the hat or I was slamming things down and screaming at the drop of the hat. You never knew what you were going to, which Fatima you were going to get. And then spiritually, I just withdrew from God. I just didn't, I withdrew because I didn't understand why I was the way that I was. And I felt like I wasn't getting an answer. So it really made me not really want to pray as much. All these four elements were screaming at me that I had changed something, that something was wrong. And when I got to that desperate place, I finally stopped to say, I will pay attention. And it was in my surrender to all four of these elements that I began to, to heal. Let's go back. Sure. You said that God chose you in the midst of so much. And he chose you from a very young age. I remember in your book, you wrote about the white sheets. Yeah. You see that as a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. So they're the white sheets. So you are absolutely right. Um, so when I got burned, it was an accident, right? Mm-hmm. So it was me in the bath water. My brother had made my bath water and he wasn't old enough to make any bath, bath water, but he did. He was like three years older than me. So he was mm-hmm. five. I was two. And he wanted to help make my bath water and the water cooler was spouting out all hot water. It was broken and no, nobody knew. My mom didn't know. My stepdad didn't know. They just let him make the water and then just went ahead and put me in the water, not even thinking about if it's hot. I don't even think they, clearly they didn't test it, right? (laughs) And so, and so they, um, I'm not sure if he put me in, but he always felt responsible. So maybe he's the one that picked me up and put me in the water Either way, I got in the water and he had made the bath water. And so I came out screaming, scalding water, just just my skin just falling off of me. And from what I was told by him, I was put back into the water. Nobody stopped to say, why is she screaming? It just put me, submerged me back into the water. And so once it was finally discovered that something is wrong, um, my mom, which I didn't, I never knew this. I never knew this until I was an adult. Um, and, I, and I don't remember the story. I only know this story because of what was told to me my entire life. God shielded my mind. I don't even I, and I've tried. I've truly tried to remember. And <laughs> yeah. I have no recollection of this happening to me. But but family members, different family members have told the same story. And that's why it is my story. <laughs> OK. <laughs> um, and so um, my mom jumps up and they wrap me up and they take me to the doctor and they give me a skin graft. And, and like I said, I had to learn to walk and talk and, mm-hmm. and learn to eat all over again and function basically all over again. But what I found out so many years later, like I was in my 40s when I found out this story, this, this mm-hmm. bit of this story. And my mom never mm-hmm. told me. And we've talked about this so many times, but this part was never shared. Mm-hmm. And she shared that when she jumped up, she used to be a maid. She used to clean homes, clean, I mean, well, clean hotel rooms. And so, you know, she would take the, the take the sheets and bring them home because we were, we didn't have anything, right? So yeah. she would bring the sheets home for her family. And so she had a sheet over the door and 
that that was the first thing that she saw when my when my stepfather screamed for her to get up and come into the bathroom to help. She jumps up and yanks the first thing she saw, which was the white sheet. And she wrapped my body in the white sheet and they took me to the hospital and the rest is history. But in that story, she shared not only did I not know about the white sheet, but she also shared that the doctor told her that if she would have picked any other sheet, any other color besides white, the dye that's in the the material um, or the, of the sheet would have got into my leg, got into the burns, and I would have gotten an infection and they would have had to amputate my legs. And so again, this is on both of my legs. I have burns on both of my legs, both of my feet. So mm-hmm. I would not, I would not have had legs or feet. Yeah. And it yeah. was just her thinking to grab it and to, to wrap me up and go. She didn't think anything of it. She, that was the first thing that she thought about. Mm-hmm. But I believe that God had an angel there. I believe yeah. that God has always been there for me. And um, through his own reasons, he chose to not intervene in certain things that have happened in my life. But in that moment, an angel protected me. And I believe in ministering angels. I believe that we all have our uh, uh, angel. We sometimes pray to guardian angels, right? I believe in that instance, I had a guardian angel. And it was because of that moment that they um, directed my mom to get a white sheet instead of anything Mm -hmm. else. Um, which has allowed me to be able to keep my legs. My story would have been so different if I would not have had um, had legs. And so even though I'm, I'm a burn victim, even though it took a lot of years for me to be able to be okay with being a burn victim, being okay, meaning exposing my burns and showing them to people and not being afraid of what they were going to say to me or what they were thinking in their head. It took a long, a lot of years for me to get to that to that space. I can only imagine how long it would have taken me if I didn't have legs. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm just grateful. And it was that uh, my mom's recollection and her sharing that part of the story with me that really just was another testament of how God kept me, how he protected me. No, he did not take away the evil people. He did not take away the burdens of life, the cruelty of life. You know, there are some things that happened to me was just pure cruelty, um, but he did give me the strength to survive it. And he gave me the strength and the understanding enough to survive it and, and know how, learn how to release the bitterness so that it did not consume my life and that I can actually have a life that has joy in it, not fake joy where I just laugh at things on TV, but I have joy on the inside. I feel freedom to share my story when we would never talk about this type of stuff, but just having the freedom to say, I am who I am. I am who God wants me to be. And I'm standing in that. I would not have the confidence to do that if it was not for markers like this in my story that says, but yet I am with you. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking about, again, your burn story. How did you come to accept it? How did you come to just move with it? And how would you encourage someone out there who is struggling maybe with their self-esteem, with their self-image and all that? I would say, because I struggle with all of that, right? There's no way I I couldn't be somebody that struggled with self-esteem issues, um, living the type of life that I've lived. But I got to say that once I came to God, I just I just really clenched to him. I really clenched to 
um, my belief. And um, that was my saving grace through so many different things that happened in my life. That was my sanity check um, was was God and worship music and reading the Bible. And even though there are parts that I would say I didn't buy into, I, I struggled with buying into who God said that I was. I struggled with that because of what so many people showed me that I meant to them. And I took that to be my worth. Uh, when I say years, I mean years, like mid-30s, you know, yeah. I really struggled with that um, residue from bad relationships and having a hard time letting go of how it impacted me. Um, but at some point, we have to make a decision on what will we believe? Will we believe what other people have said about us that has served us no good? And the people have served us no good. Yeah. Or will we believe what God says about us or what um, those people that are close to us and that have our best interests at heart says about us? If you can't believe what God says, what about those people? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, which story will you tell? Which story will you cling to? Will you continue to cling to all the things that make you feel horrible about yourself? Or will you make a decision to commit and cling to the things that make you feel like there is some hope? There's some possibility if you would only do dot, dot, dot there's possibility. Mm -hmm. That's where I was at. So even in my, my most broken state, when I felt like I wanted to end my life, I had enough sense because of my backstory with God, because no matter what I went through in my past, he was the one I clung to. Even when I was making bad decisions, even when I was going back to the guy that beat me or going back to the guy that treated me horribly and not feeling enough confidence and worth to say, no, I don't want to go back anymore. Even though I was making horrible decisions and still going back to somebody that meant me no good, I still clung to God. So that, mean, that means in my worst decision making, I still clung to God. So it doesn't matter what state, of, what state you are in, in your walk, cling to God. And in me clinging to him, and when I say that, I mean listening to whatever worship music that helped me make my day better. Um, yeah. Reading scriptures or daily verses that, that make sense to me that I can maybe remember so that when I'm in a tough spot, I can recite them. Um, you know, being around people who are also like-minded, meaning who are also trying to live their life for God so that maybe something they say will rub off on me and I can think about it throughout my week. Whatever I could do to cling to God is what I did in the midst of all the other stuff that was going on. What I was thinking about how I'm going to survive leaving an abusive relationship. I talked to God about that. Yeah. Um, so in, in everything that I did for me, my faith was centered, even though I didn't have faith in myself, I had faith in God. Now, did I have faith in God to change my situation? No, but I had faith in who God was. And so even that we could say that's mustard seed faith. I had it. And so when I got to a place where I was ready to say, I need to make changes in my life. I had enough sense or enough wisdom, enough backstory, enough relationship with God for it to pop in my head, Fatima, you have to change what you say to yourself. You have to change your mindset. I didn't have too much of a clue of how to do that, but I had enough to say, let me look for a message on changing my mindset. 
Let me repeat that message over and over and over again until I began to buy into it. Let me write these positive things that people have said about me down on a piece of paper. And when I'm ready, when, when the thought of negative stuff come in my head, I'm going to replace it with this positive thing. And even though I don't believe the positive thing, I'm going to say it over and over again until I begin to believe it. And those yeah. are truly things that I did in the natural for a spiritual change. When I was starting out and was like, God, I just know that if I don't change my mind, I'm going to end my life. I needed to change my entire mind because my mind was saying, kill myself. So mm -hmm. I knew I had to get that under control before I went and talked to a therapist, before I told my family what was going on with me, before I, I made dedicated time to spend with God, more time with him, before I started researching different, different uh, programs that I could get into, before I did any of those things, I said, I need to get my mind right. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to start working small steps, small yeah. things. And just repeating those things, Fatima, you are smart. Fatima, you can do this. Fatima, people believe that you are a beautiful girl, that you have a good heart. And I just wrote them down and just kept reciting them as affirmations to myself. And then one day I didn't need the paper. One day when the thought would come in my head, I already knew what to recite to myself. And then I began to believe it. And then as I started working through simultaneously, working through these huge boulders in my life that seemed like they would never go away, and they wouldn't go away because I wasn't doing anything to make them go away. But once I started working on those boulders to make them go away and pulling back the layers on each thing that was hurting me and started looking at it and deciding that um, I don't want that in my life anymore. So I got to make different decisions because I will not allow this thing to hold me captive anymore. I became more confident. So then when I was repeating those things, I actually started to believe them because I am I am brave. I am courageous. Yeah. Because it takes bravery and courage to do what yeah. I just did. So now yeah. I am. See, I started to believe it. So those are the things that I had to do in the natural. And I yeah. promise that as you do it and you recite it and you recite it, you begin to believe it. Now, we recite to ourselves, Vivian, all the time, the things that we do horrible. Yeah. We will marinate in it. We will celebrate our failure. For ourselves, we will yeah. say, I can't believe I did that. That was so yeah. stupid. And then an hour later, they're like, what are you thinking about? Oh, I'm still thinking about that stupid thing that I did. I can't believe I did that. Right. And then now it's 7 p.m., 8 p.m. It's time for dinner. And why you look so down? Because I made such a horrible mistake and I just I just felt so horrible. See, we took the whole day and gave homage to a failure. The you entire see. day we gave homage to something that made us feel horrible. So why not take the entire day and and recite something that makes us feel good? It's the mm -hmm. same dedication. It's just yes. in a different perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. is literally what I had to make a decision to do. And it was in me making that decision where my confidence started getting bigger and brighter, where I started being able to say, you know what? This person has bullied my life for so many years. And, and honestly, I have allowed them to. I've allowed them to treat me this way. I'm stopping it today. Now I'm scared to do it. I'm scared to have the conversation, but I'm still stopping it today. I'm not going to allow them to treat me this way anymore. So now I'm going to put some some expectations down and either they go with the expectations or they won't be in my life and I will cry about it. I'll be sad about it. But guess what? I'm going to feel better because now I don't have to have this person bullying me in my own life anymore. And when you do that, you're just lifting yourself up. You're just lifting up your spirit. You're getting closer to the person that God wants you to be. How can you not feel wonderful about yourself when you do that? So touched. I'm so touched by your story. <laughs> good. good. <laughs>
there is this season in your life. I remember you wrote in your book, you felt picked on by God. I'd like to hear about that season, that season of loss. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really felt when I lost my child, it was my first child. And that was the only girl um, that I had. And so um, (laughs) and so it was just like, why? Like, and that wasn't the only time, but there have been other times where I just felt like I'm being, you know, I'm just saying if I rated myself on the Christian report card, I mean, I'd at least get a B, a B plus, like I'm a B plus Christian, you know, it's like, I'm doing the best that I can. And so I felt like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm paying my tithes. I, I go to church every Sunday. I go to Bible study. I pray. I do intercessory prayer. I pray for other people. I go and witness to people. I'm not ashamed of who you are in my life. And you do this to me. You allow this to happen to me. Like, why would you allow this to happen to me? And that is truly how I felt when I lost my child. And also when I was in a relationship with you know, my ex-husband and he was abusive, I was like, you couldn't give me a heads up. <laughs> like, like, what is you, you allow me to just walk into this relationship and allow and allow this man to just treat me horrible. But I'm your yeah. child. Why would you yeah. allow me to experience this? And um, I hadn't gotten to a place where I understood that life is life. And, and either way that Satan earn, owns the earth and, and the actions that happen on this earth, but God can own the people. You just have to give your life to him. And so through that, you choose good or bad, but that Satan owns this world. So things will happen. Right. Um, and so I, I didn't really understand to that depth of the fact that people have choice on how they're going to be. And that we have the freedom to choose the type of person that we're going to be. And that God doesn't owe me anything. That God never said that he was going to give me a pleasant life. He just said he was going to give me an abundant life. And so in that, that most of that abundance comes when I leave this earth. And so I I had, I understood to to a degree, but I hadn't come to that maturity until much later in my life. So in that moment where specifically when I lost my daughter, I struggled so bad because I wanted to scream at God, how dare you? But I wanted to honor him for who he was in my life. Mm -hmm. And it was honestly my Godfather that had always preached to me, Fatima, God already knows what you're thinking. So you might as well share what you're thinking because he already knows it. He already knows the condition of your heart. So right now you're thinking you're hiding your heart from him by Mm -hmm. still continuing to pray and do things, do stuff. But your heart is hard. So you might as well just share with him what's really going on with your heart. And my godfather is just an awesome man of God. Um, he, he's a, actually a bishop now, um, but he was the, 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 the preacher over, over congregation. And so I just listened to him. He was the first person that I met when I became a Christian. Like he was the one that, that molded me and taught me about Christianity. So he was like, God already knows you can say it. And I'm like, well, I ain't from the church. So I'm just going to say it. <laughs> right? I don't know if this is protocol or not, but I'm just going to say it how I feel mm-hmm. it. And I really did. I had a moment with God where I laid out on the floor, prostrate before him. And I screamed and I cried and I yelled, God, how could you take my baby away? And I really mm-hmm. said every, absolutely everything 
that was on my heart that I needed to say that was stopping me from honestly worshiping God for who he is in my life. I couldn't in spirit and in truth because the truth was I was hurt and I was angry. And so once I allowed myself to release that to him, I just feel like it made me closer to him. I feel like God is closest to us when we are angry or upset at him. Um, because how can we be upset or angry at somebody we don't love? And so in, in that, to that depth, how can somebody hurt you in that deepness if you don't love them? Right. Um, and so for me, that's when I felt honestly, the more close to God being able to be so raw, honest about how I felt. And then from that moment, remembering that God is still God, that despite my pain, that did not move him from the throne. You know, despite my pain, he is still the ruler of all things. Mm. And if I believed his word to be true, it should not change because of my pain. And so if I believed that God was the was the ruler of my life, that should not change because of my pain. Mm. And so I I said what I said. I shared with God what I shared with him. But then I also said, but God, I honor you. And it is well with my soul, even though it is not well that I'm working to make it well with my soul. And I will still serve you even throughout all this that I'm feeling in my heart. I will serve you and God help me to heal. And that is how I left it with God help me to heal. And I will be honest to say that I never got an answer. I don't know why my daughter had to die. I have no idea. Right. I don't know. And um, there are some things that I believe you will just find out when you, when you make it to the other side and in my faith and belief of who God is in my life, I must believe that. But I also believe Vivian, that some things you have to make purpose. You have to make purpose out of horrible situations, not necessarily wait on purpose to find you. And so, um, in my healing and as my pain became less and my memory was still there of my event, but my pain became less. I didn't cry as much. I didn't become hard hearted. You know, um, I moved on with my life one step at a time and eventually had other children and and made a life for myself. I -hmm. still remember my firstborn, um, Mm -hmm. but the pain of the memory isn't there. And it opened up the door for me to now be able to use that that moment in my life as purpose, meaning sharing it with other people to let them know that they are not alone. And so Mm -hmm. if they have went through a similar experience, I can sit with them and speak to them in a way that other people cannot. And I Mm -hmm. think that that is a blessing in itself to be able to connect with somebody pain to pain because you felt those pressure points where somebody else will just be talking theoretically. Right. And saying God is God and yada, 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 where you can speak from a place of no, but I've lived this pain so I can connect with this sister. I can connect with this brother because Mm -hmm. I've actually walked through it and I know what it feels like, but I also know what it feels like to be healed and actually helping them to navigate to their own healing. I'm able to do that for a different people because of my experiences. So there was a purpose. It may not be to my liking, but there was a purpose for every single thing that I went through in my life, because now I'm able to share with other people and say, you're not alone. I know what it feels like to have people stare at me because of my disfigurement. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be an abused um, wife. I know what it feels like to not leave, 
when everybody, when you think, why am I still here? But you don't leave. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be abused by the people that were supposed to love you. I know what those feelings, I know what that's like, but I also know what it's like for God to come and heal all of that. I know what it took for me to release it and allow God Mm -hmm. to heal all of that. And so my relationship with somebody that's going through something in around that context would be a different relationship than somebody who's just speaking on it theoretically. So there is purpose. There is purpose even in that. Wow. Wow. I like that. So your encouragement to those who have gone through loss is that even through that there's purpose. Absolutely. And you may not feel it right away and that's okay. It is completely okay to not be in a space where you want to help anybody because right now you're just pissed. That is okay. That is a part of grieving, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You have to be in a space where the sting isn't as strong. And so that's Mm -hmm. a process. It's progress, not perfection, right? Mm -hmm. But I would would, um, implore those people who are walking through a painful situation to not let go of God's hand to not walk away, but to walk mm-hmm. towards God. And I just personally believe through my own personal experience mm-hmm. that walking with him, him walking with me through the fire versus him waiting at the finish line for me, it is a completely different experience. And I would prefer to his hand, my hand to be in his hand as I walk through my battles. I just feel like I walk through them with so much more peace, mm-hmm. with so much more grace, um, even though I feel like a basket case, I don't look like it um, when when I'm walking with God. There is a difference between walking alone and walking with God. So I would encourage those people, no matter what stage of grief that you are in, do not turn away from God. Move towards him. Move towards him. Two things we can't pick. We can't pick our family <laughs> and we can't pick our, tr- our, our struggles, right? We can't pick those. There's probably some others we can't pick, but I know we can't pick those. Um, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta live with them. You gotta deal with them as they come up. Um, so we all will be hit with things that are travesties that we consider travesties. Um, but with God, it, it just, um, it, it, it's still bad, I would say, but there is, there is something about having that company. They say misery needs company. I want my company to be Jesus, you know, Um, because I know that when I'm down, that his strength is made perfect in my times of weakness. Mm -hmm. And and I've seen that to be true in my life. Um, When I couldn't lean on my own strength, I leaned on him. I know that he will send a word from some random person when I need it the most just to pick me up and help me to go another day or another hour. I know that he's capable of doing those things, that he's omnipresent, that he is everywhere I am. And that in when I'm crying at night and don't know what to do, I know that he comforts me and he has a wonderful way of kissing me on my forehead and letting me know that everything's going to be okay. okay. And so I would prefer that over walking by myself or entertaining the enemy for him to take captive of my thoughts. And take me all the way back where I fought so hard to come from. Um, and so I, I, I hope, um, I implore with your listeners to be willing to do the same. Don't let go of God's hand. In your different spaces where you went through so much, yeah. there's this importance of the people who surround you. 
Yes. Talk to us about the people who surround you. Because even in your loss, the one person who really brought you out from the ditch was Torren Wells. When he said, pain can restrict sight, but it can also bring clarity. Yes, so yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I consider it a safe place. I consider people that um, truly, truly just have your best interest at heart um, mm-hmm. for um, bringing it down further, making it more plain. When you are at your worst and you are in your most darkest moment where you want to kill somebody yeah. or, you know, them or yourself <laughs> or something. I mean, you're just yeah. really a recluse. You're really in a horrible place. Yeah. And they don't give you they don't give you the knife to go key the car. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't mm-hmm. give you the gun to go shoot the person. They don't say, I'm going to go with you. No, yeah. they stop you because they yeah. know that that is not a healthy way of thinking. But they also come and they sit with you and they talk with you and they share the truth and love and they pray mm-hmm. with you and they pray for you and they hold you accountable for the decisions that you make concern in your life. These people I consider a safe place, my accountability partners, and it stretches. There are different people for different times. There have been different people for different times in my life, but I just have what I consider a tribe of uh, people, not just women that are my, that I consider my safe place. When I was going through a tough time in my relationship with my ex-husband, there was somebody that God appointed in my life for that time to help me walk through that moment, to ask me a, a defining, a life-defining question that led me in the right direction. These people are your safe place. And I know that if it was not for my safe place um, at a, any different stage of my life, I know without a fact, I would not be here talking to you when I was in a place, my worst place where I I feel like I've had many rock bottom moments where I felt like my life was over. But Mm -hmm. but when I was at my most recent one, which was a few years ago, um, it was because of my safe place. I had already had these women around me that have seen me through some horrible situations. So when I was at that place where, where I was afraid to share my thoughts with my husband because I didn't want him to freak out. I went to my safe place instead and shared with them. This is where I'm at mentally, emotionally. I really think I'm going to end my life. And it was because of their care for me where they spoke to me and was able to say, Fatima, I think you need to go to talk therapy. If I had not trusted these women prior because of prior relationship, I would not have been able to listen to them. I would have been like defensive saying, who do you think you are telling me what I need? I would not have listened and I probably wouldn't be here today. So yeah. a safe place is truly that it, um, it doesn't have to be a bunch of people. It can be um, your neighbor, somebody that you just befriended, that you really connect with them. It can be somebody at your job that you connect with them on a deeper level. It can be um, it can be your, your mom or your dad. It does not have to be family. It could be anybody. And sometimes we are forced to go pay for a safe place. And that is therapy. Or that is a life coach like I am. Sometimes you have to go, you have to put, you know, invest in yourself. And when you don't feel like people around you, um, that you can trust them with your feelings, then you may have to go pay for that safe place. But either way, every single person needs a safe place in their life. Nobody is meant to do life alone. Nobody is meant to do it alone. We are meant to have some people in our corner that when life gets hard, we go back into our corner. They build us up. They help us. They tell us what we need to hear mentally, emotionally, build us up, help us so that we can get back out there and fight. We can't do it by ourselves. And so throughout my book, you will see where 
There were key people that God put into my life that um, was my safe place at that time that helped me to make it over that hump, make it make it through that situation, whatever that event was. When I first got saved, one of the people that God put into my life was a Puerto Rican woman who came to my job and brought me my first Bible. I never I didn't have a Bible. And she asked me if I had one. I said no. She went out and bought me a Bible. And that was my first Bible. And then she told me where to read. That was somebody planting a seed into my life. And I wouldn't, I I mean, I probably would have eventually became a Christian. I'm not sure, but I just know that was a critical moment in my life. And somebody was there to help me and support me and guide me in the right direction. And that's what a safe place does. So it's not about the numbers. It's not about having five people, three people. It's about having a person or a, a selective group of people that you truly know have your best interest at heart, no matter what it is that you're going through. The moment you decided to leave your abusive husband. Yeah. Yeah. How did that happen? You know, it was a process. It took, Mm -hmm. when I really decided that I truly, truly want to leave, I was in a place where I wasn't working. I didn't Mm -hmm. have a car. I didn't have anything. (laughs) Like I had everything that I had was because of his income. So the car that we had was basically his car. The place Mm -hmm. that we had was basically under his name. Um, I, I wasn't even working at the time. And so I remember praying to God because like I said, even through every situation, I clung to God. And so there was a a moment in my life three years prior where I was in a space where I said, God, if I even wanted to leave him, how would I even do it? I don't have a car. I don't have a job. I don't have anything. I don't have a place to stay. Well, how could I even do it? I remember praying that prayer multiple times. And um, I wound up getting an opportunity to sing. And so I, I sang um, in a, locally. And, um, and from there, I got this awesome opportunity to sing with the group and make very, very good money. An opportunity that honestly, he would have loved because he was uh, a, a singer also. And he was more known. He was more well known. I mean, he could definitely do the job. But a friend that we both knew, they chose me. And so I got the job. And in having that job, I was able to save, start saving some money. And I was able to start building some independence. I was able to get my first car that was in my name. And I just couldn't believe for the first time I had a car. And, um, and so I prayed and asked God, how can I even leave him? I don't have anything. Then God gave me an opportunity to get stuff that would make me feel confident to leave. And so for me, that was a three-year process. I'm not saying that takes long for everybody, but- he, he allowed me to get the stuff. Then he had to work on my mindset about knowing that I could make it without him. And that was harder because I felt like he helped me to escape a horrible situation in my home as a teenager, um, as 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. I felt like he helped me. He had been with me since I was 18 years old or I'd been with him. So leaving him at, at like 30, 31 years old, that was a huge mental Um, barrier that I had to break through. Mm -hmm. And so, but it was honestly through God, me continuing to lean on God, him continuing to show himself strong in my life, but also showing me bits of my potential, my possibilities, Mm -hmm. and me um, beginning to get attracted to those possibilities. I had no idea what I could be. I had no idea what I was going to do. But I like the idea that I could be more, more than what I was being right right now. And so I think with that, 
and also understanding that I didn't want my child to grow up in an abusive home like I had grown up in an abusive home. Um, those two things that made me really um, get to a place where I needed to make a decision. And I had my safe place, my safe place that um, a friend of mine who at, said, you've been complaining about this for years. When are you going to make a change? And yeah. it was just those things coming together at one time in that one magical moment that made me say, I'm going to make a change. Things have to change and started walking them out. Baby steps, one step at a time. Nothing happened overnight, but baby steps, putting a little money away, um, getting back reunited with my family because I knew that I may have needed to sleep on their couch, you know, yeah. um, just really trying to prepare. What would I do if I did leave? How would I make this happen? And so just slowly, step by step, figuring that out until one day I had the courage to do it. Even in that moment, I was petrified. Even in that moment, I, I stopped and I said, God, I can't do this. I'm leaving everything. I'm leaving everything. I'm leaving the house. I'm leaving the stuff, all this stuff I'm leaving. What am I going to? I'm going to go to my cousin's couch over a house and a car and this or that. And I'm about to go and sleep on my cousin's couch. God, this must be a mistake. And even in that moment, I could hear God just speaking to me about mm -hmm. what do I want my future to be? I thought you said you wanted more. I thought you said you didn't want your child to grow up in this type of environment, really pushing me and nudging me on my convictions. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, and so I made that that de um, decision to leave. And it was um, both it was the, the scariest thing that I had done in my life at that time. Um, but there was a sense of freedom that came with it, too. Um, but it was a rough, it was a very rough journey, just um, learning to be able to be um, by myself, to be a single, a single parent. You know, I'd never done that before. So it was definitely um, a growth time for me. And I believe that God was with me through every step of the way. Why did you ignore the red flag? It's funny because there really was none. Mm -hmm. Um, in my viewpoint, there really was none. I never mm -hmm. saw, there was never any abuse towards me. There was never any, um, yelling at me, all those things that you would think that you would see. Um, when, if you're, if you're dealing with somebody that's abusive, right. You kind of think it's going to come out somewhere or yeah. another when you're dating. And mm -hmm. we dated for three years and it never came out now. It came out about him being a womanizer that came yeah. out, but mm -hmm. my self-worth or lack of self-worth just felt like I have to be with this person because they have protected me from so many things. Um, I, I felt like they protected me. I felt like I owed myself to this person. I needed yeah. to be with this person. And mm -hmm. so marrying my rescuer, basically. And, and, but so yeah, the womanizer part was so there, like it wasn't even a red flag. It was like flashing lights and, you know, the ambulance siren, I mean, everything right in my face. And I still was like, you know, okay, I see it, but I'm going anyway. Like that was just total idiot move on my part. And maybe that was a sign that if I wouldn't have, if I would have stopped there, then I wouldn't never went through the abuse. Right. Because the abuse did not happen on literally, literally until we got married. There was the week before the wedding where he pushed a bowling ball to my feet. We were spatting and he he um, we used to bowl together and he took his bowling ball and 
um, really pushed it aggressively towards my feet. And if I wouldn't have jumped, it would have hit me and I would have failed. And mm-hmm. I just was like, wow, what the heck is that about? Right. And so, but then I thought, well, it's just jitters because of the wedding. That was the one thing that I saw. And I said, that was like a pink flag <laughs> that happened. And I excused it with, oh, it must be jitters because of the wedding. Cause nothing has ever happened in the three years. This mm-hmm. one thing happens that does, al- it does alarm me, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking it must just be, we're both frustrated because of this wedding stuff. Right. And um, a week into our wedding, I was, I was basically running for my life in a week, one week, mm-hmm. one week. Mm-hmm. And by then I was so embarrassed and ashamed to tell anybody because my fam- my family didn't want me to marry him. They didn't think we should get married. And mm-hmm. I had went against everybody. So to be able to turn around and say, this is my life, I could not. I was too prideful to say, this is what my life has turned into. So by the time we made it through those nine years, there were so many feelings. There was feelings of humiliate, you know, just I'm going to feel so humiliated and ashamed um, to the point where it was, I just need to get out of this um, to the point of, I don't want to be a single mom and I'm about to be a single mother. How am I going to do this? There were just so many things, so many thoughts that had ran across my mind that just helped me to stay in bondage in a relationship that I truly should have left. Um, I'm grateful for my son from the relationship, but Mm -hmm. it did a lot of damage, emotional Mm -hmm. and mental damage that Mm -hmm. I had to work through the rest of my years. There's someone right now, a lady or a gentleman who is going through abuse, continuous abuse. How would you advise this person? Maybe they're in there because of their child. Maybe they're in there because they feel like you say they owe this person. How do you advise them? Yeah, I, I, I learned this a while ago that a lot of times we stay committed into something because we believe that we have an obligation and that we gave our worry, we gave our commitment. And so we have an obligation to that thing or to that event or to that person. And but first and foremost, we have an obligation to ourselves. Like that was our first obligation is to take care of ourselves and to be true to ourselves and to honor and respect ourselves. And if we are God fearing, then it's to, you know, definitely honor and treat our temple the best way we can, because we are the temple of Christ. We can't do that being kicked around and being abused. They don't even go together. Mm-hmm. So it, I, it, it's so tough to say this, but it's the truth. We treat, we show people how we want them to treat us. And so if we want them to not treat us that way, we have to make a decision to be worth more, worth more enough to leave. I left and really had no huge plan. I had to go sleep on my cousin's couch for like two to three months with my son. Um, that was that was the extent of my plan. <laughs> that was it. You know, I left a lot of stuff. I left a lot of um, a lot of perception, meaning people perceiving that we had this wonderful relationship. I left a lot of that right to to live in the truth. And so I just believe that God works best with us when we're living in truth. So if our relationship is not the truth, then we really need to 
make a better decision for what we want our life to stand for. Even with the children, a lot of times the children feel it. They may not be able to express it. They may not be able to articulate it, but they feel the tension. I would watch my son when we would start arguing before the hitting ever started and we'd be arguing back and forth. I would see my son walk, run to one and then stop halfway and then come to the other. And he would be confused on which one he should go to. And I could just see the stress acting out in his body. And he was only like five years old, four or five years old, but he didn't know what to do. He didn't know which one to go to, to give him comfort because he was scared. And we both were yelling. So the kid, I, that's what really woke me up to say, I don't want my son living like this. Nobody wants their children going through that. If you don't yeah. want your child to go through that, you have to make the tough decision. You have to make the tough decision to allow his, their life to work, be worth more and for your life to be worth more. And I'm not saying it's easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And if you're in a situation where you really feel like um, you need help to, to, to make that decision, then I would encourage you to go to your safe place, those people that I mentioned earlier, and have an honest conversation and be honest about what is really going on in your home. Um, and, 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 um, allow them to help you to find resources to help you get out of that situation. There are, um, resources all over that can help, but you first have to ask for the help. And in order to get help, um, there's a saying that goes, um, help begins with humility. You have to humble yourself and be honest about what your situation is and be willing to share it honestly with someone and, and then allow them to help you, meaning accept the help allow them to help you. Mm. Um, I think doing those things um, would definitely help. First, figure out what do you want your life to be? Do you want it to be that? Like, seriously, because at one time I did. At one time I said, this must be the life that God wants for me. I really believed that. And so mm. I stopped talking about the abuse. I just didn't even tell anybody anymore. I just yeah. took it as this is just how my life is supposed to be. Mm. It wasn't until I started believing in my possibilities that I looked at my situation again and said, this ain't right. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it first starts with us. It starts with us as individuals to say, what do you want for yourself? What do you want as your possibility? Is this what you want? Is this what you think God thinks of you? And once you make that decision and understand that God has so much more for you, well, now you need to put into action, put that faith into action and start making decisions to show that God has more for you. Wow. Oh, thank you for that. You're welcome. You're Let's welcome. talk about your experience with the church. You know, yes. I've really rewinded back. And there was a time when you were, you were going for a choir practice and then you were chased because of your past, your religious background. Yeah. So how did that impact your Christianity and how you viewed Christianity then? Well, at that time, we were we were still Buddhist and we were just um, we would come from, still from a Buddhist background. But my mom decided that she wanted to go to church and ex, mm -hmm. um, explore church. Mm -hmm. And so we, we became active in the church really quickly. And so when we were rejected by the by a specific church because of our background, it was I mean, it was just like any type of um, unexpected um, horribleness that, that happens. It was a shock. It was like, what? We can't come back. You're kicking us out. I mean, just trying to process that and then trying to process the why, but why? Because we're different because, because we were Buddhist before. I mean, it really, really makes you think something's wrong with you. 
And then once you decide that nothing's wrong with you, it can really put a salty taste in your mouth for that religion. And even though it was that one church, that one church represented Christianity for us. So for years, we detested anybody that's who said they were a Christian. And so for me to be able to make it to a place in my life where I decided when I decided that I wanted to explore other religions, again, when I say God had his hand on my life, that had to be because that makes no sense, right? It practical, it makes no sense. Like we're supposed to be loyal to family. If this, yeah. if this religion did this to my family, I should not in any way be thinking about um, serving them, right? It's just like, how is that even possible? And that's just another, to me, indicator that God selected me. He chose me. So when I, be, when I decided that, I wanted to explore other religions. The guy that I was dating was a Christian and his mom was just like a strong Christian, like any, I mean, Bible beater, heavy thumping (laughs) Christian, (laughs) everything that that a non-Christian kind of runs away from. That's Mm -hmm. what she was. And it it was an experience boy. So, but, um, but there were some things that I could take away from her faith. There were things that I could take away from his faith. And Mm -hmm. they taught, um, they, they introduced me to um, different Christian networks, different channels that was on TV. And so, and and just really answered my questions or at least tried to, when I had questions, they, they would go to the um, Bible and try to help me to figure it out. I don't feel like they were pushing Christianity on me, but I think they, they love the fact that I was interested. Right. And, um, and so in that general exploration is what made me start thinking more about who is this Jesus? Who is this mm-hmm. God? How does this whole thing even work? Mm-hmm. And, um, I just think that opening that little bit of opening of being willing to, to listen, being willing to, um, question and to, um, to share my thoughts, my viewpoints, whether they were in line with what the Christian faith said, or if it wasn't being open to, to share them and have the conversation that in itself, I think was enough room for God to do his work. Um, when I, I used to run from the questions as a Buddhist, I would run away from those type of conversations and I would get really defensive because don't try to change what I think. Don't try to change my viewpoint. Um, but I found that just being open it helped me to understand, at least now in my life, I get it. Being open to just having the conversation about religion. It doesn't mean that I'm trying to change you or you're trying to change me, it, but it does help me to understand where we connect, where our, um, our spirituality connects, what we can agree on, right? And from there, what we can build a relationship on. Mm. And so now, you know, I'm definitely more open to having a conversation with people in regards to religion because I want to see what we can be unified at. And, um, but at that time, it really was about me just not feeling like I was connecting with the with being a Buddhist. I was no longer con- connecting in that space. I wanted something. I was looking for something different. I was looking for something more. And God um, used that opportunity as a way to allow me to get to know him. He used people. He always uses us. He right. Does. And, does. and even though that relationship that actually wound up being my ex-husband who was abusive to me, mm-hmm. but in that moment, in that season, he was also the one and his family were the one that really, truly um, helped me to explore Christianity. The same yeah. person that hurt me was the same person that helped me. 
There's yeah. nobody but God to be able to orchestrate that, you know, yeah. that the same person was the one that gave me the weapon to walk through that mm -hmm. that turmoil of a life. You know, yeah. he introduced me to the weapon and mm -hmm. and that same weapon is what helped me to walk away from him. I'd like you to talk about three things, three major things that you went through. The first one was when you were experiencing abuse, how was your mom reacting? I'd like mm -hmm. to know that part of your life and also talk about the relationship between your son and your ex-husband. Mm -hmm. And I really respect the fact that you are able to identify that your son and your ex-husband should have a different relationship from the yeah. way you had it. And you respected that space. And yeah. the last thing I'd like you to talk about is how you came to be so courageous and so confident to take the recovery program. That's a lot, Vivian, but I would try <laughs> to hit it. <laughs> I got it. Okay, so I'll start with, with um, my son just because the other two, they kind of go together. Mm -hmm. um, so um, with my son, yeah, when, when I left his father, it was very, very trying. It was, yeah. uh, it was very rough. It was very controlling. It, he still yeah. tried to control me, even though we were not together. And, but this time he tried to control me with finances. And mm -hmm. so it really, it just became so hostile between us that I, I could not cope. I could not cope with dealing with him because I had not dealt with the trauma of our relationship in no way, shape or form. And he was not helpful he did not admit the things that he had did to me, which was like a, a stab every time he pretended that what I was saying happened didn't happen. And it was like trying to make me think that I was crazy. And so it truly, it truly, truly drove me nuts. And I had to separate myself from him. And so in doing that, of course, my son was young. He didn't know. Um, and so it really boiled down to me separating my son with my son is living with me. So my son's not in engaging with him. Really, he wasn't he wasn't really trying. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. he wasn't really trying. And yeah. so um, and so it just became one of those situations where I'm a single mom. I'll I'll do my best to be the mother and the father. And I'm not going to beg you to be in his life. And plus, you stress me anyway. So it's actually convenient for me. It's more convenient for me to raise them by myself. This was my thought than to allow you into the space to be anywhere in this space, because I personally don't know how to cope. And so um, it took many years, I would say, what was it, maybe about 10 years before we could even have a civil conversation. And so um, I think someone passed away that we both knew, and he called to tell me, and we actually had a civil conversation, not about what he did to me, um, or he feeling like I was trying to keep his son away from him, not about money, not about any of those things that would normally make us go at each other. It was simply about grieving the loss of this person. And I saw that there could be, there could, there is potential, like there could be a civil relationship, but I still personally um, was angry because he never owned his part. He never admitted that he hurt me, physically hurt me. Um, he always pretended that it didn't happen. And that was the thing that really just broke me. And so even if we did have potentially an opportunity to have a civil relationship, I felt he owed me that. 
And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow us to have that type of communication. In that though, was my son in the middle who didn't get a relationship with his dad. And he just wanted a relationship with his dad. And the older he got, he felt the loss of his father. I think primarily because he remember having him in his life. You know, he was five when we, when we were no longer together. So he remembered what that felt like. And I think it made it more difficult for him versus somebody who had never had a father, you know, wasn't around for him. He remembered. And with each year that he grew, he grew more and more resentful for his father, not being in his life, not understanding our backstory because he was too young to get all of that. He just viewed it as you're basically trying to keep me away from, from my dad. And so because of him becoming so resentful towards me and the the way that I'm in my house, it just, um, I really had to stop and think as far as what was best for him. Um, And that was hard. (laughs) That was because I wanted us to be able to be a perfect family. He had his stepfather. We move forward in life without my past coming back into my life that I had to um, rub up against me like a rash. And but but God didn't want that. And so what was best for my son was to have his father. And I hated it. I hated that that was the truth. Um, But but I think maturity and parenting just sometimes leads you to a place that you do not want to go. And this is just one of those places where I had to accept the fact if my parenting was better or wiser or healthier. Regardless, my son wanted his father, period. And he was going to act out and was going to be resistant towards any change that was happening in my home until he got that need met. And in that is where I made the decision that he needed to go live with his dad. And the maternal part of me was so heartbroken that he even wanted to go. But the the parents, uh, you know, just trying to be do what's best for him. That part of me knew that this was the decision that I had to make. And so um, in making that decision, I cried and cried and cried um, for months, wanting him to come back, wanting him to not like it (laughs) and want to come back. And um, and God convicted me about my prayer. God convicted me about my prayer. And um, convicted me and helped and really told me that it's not about me, that it's Mm -hmm. about my son and that he has a different purpose that's outside of me. And his relationship with his dad can be completely different than my relationship with his dad and that I need to allow that to be whatever that looks like. He needs to know his father, whether he gets to know him and comes back and say, oh, mama, the things that you did tell me was true. Maybe he would. Maybe he would come back and say, my dad is, a, is wonderful. I have no idea what you're talking about. But whatever his experience were to be, was going to be, it was for him to have it. And that I was standing in the way of that. And, um, and so that was a huge humbling moment for me to just release my hands, to take my hands up off the situation and allow him to, to move with his dad and allow them to get to know each other without me interfering. And so what that meant was not calling him every 50 times. When he wanted to talk to me, he would call me. Um, when I sent him with the phone, I had bought, you know, a, a little pay, pay, pay by the hour phone or whatever, um, minute phone. And his dad threw it out and didn't send it back to me so I can give it to another kid. But he threw it out 
and bought him um, a brand phone, an iPhone, mm-hmm. even though that crushed me. It was not for mm-hmm. me to get on the phone and start fighting and arguing about that stuff because whatever happened there was to happen mm-hmm. there. We were thousands mm-hmm. of miles away. It made no sense for me to try to manage their relationship thousands of miles away. It just made no sense. And so in that, I had to release my control over the whole situation. Um, and I'm grateful that I w- had enough sense to do that because I did not want to do it. I'll be honest about that. Um, years later, his, his dad passed away. And when he passed away, my son knew his father. He didn't have to read about who his father was. He didn't have to hear stories from relatives of who his father was. He knew his father and he has his own memories of him and his father together. Something I could never give him. Um, Nobody could ever give him. And so I'm grateful that I humbled myself to listen to what God, the wisdom God was giving me. If I would not have moved out of the way, he would not have known his father. And he may have resented me for that. Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm grateful that God knew what was to come, even though I had no clue and that, um, and that he checked me and, you know, God, he would chastise his children and he chastised me mm-hmm. and, and moved me, made me move myself out the way and go have a seat somewhere so that, um, so those two could have a relationship. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, and he, and he moves like that sometimes and you have to take that correction. And I'm just glad I did. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to my mom mm-hmm. and, and, um, how I've made it to this point to be able to share with you today. Um, when I was, um, sexually assaulted, my, number one, my mom was also abused, uh, physically abused in the home right along with, with me and my older brother. And so there was just a lot of abuse around our family. Um, mm-hmm. sexual abuse is mm-hmm. almost like a generational curse in our family. I would say mm-hmm. the way that it's treated, I think is a generational behavior that uh, my aunts and my mom, they went through their own um, sexual abuse and, and it was not um, treated as anything that was horrible. It was actually skirted under the rug and nobody talked about it. And so when I had my incident with sexual abuse, I got the same treatment from my mom. And she initially did speak, um, uh, speak up for me. Um, but then my abuser was allowed to come back into my home twice um, as a teenager, um, as a yeah, as a as a young teenager and an older teenager. And so I had to re- I had to live with my perpetrator twice after he was indicted for sexual abuse. It definitely strained our relationship and it was nothing that was ever talked about. We didn't talk about it. We didn't go back and have the conversations like we did when I said we talked about it over and over again, my name, we talked about it so many times. We never talked about the sexual abuse like that. We talked about it one time. And that was when I told it that one time. And we never, we never um, revisited that conversation in 32 years. And so throughout those years, we had a strained relationship. Sometimes we would be close, but I felt like I had to give up something to be close to her. Or sometimes we would not talk. And not just for a week or a month, years, we would not talk. And so there was always this underlying thing that I just not, I just could not figure out what it was. And it was when I decided to go back through my own personal story and look at those big boulders I was talking about earlier. The sexual abuse was one of those. And looking at it in detail, what happened? How did it make me feel? 
How did it damage me in regards to my relationships? Do I trust men? Do I not trust men? Am I promiscuous? Uh, am I afraid? Uh, what is it? Like, how did it damage me throughout my life? Who was at fault? Who was the person that was at fault? And, and then what would I have wanted to have happened differently? When I got to who was at fault, I realized that at 12 years old, there was no way I could have been at fault. For most of my life, I had this understanding that I had did something wrong, that in that moment of everything that had happened, there was something that I had done wrong. And so um, nobody said that I did anything wrong, but the way that I was treated was as if I owed a debt that I could never repay. And yeah. so walking yeah. through that, that um, little exercise of what happened, how did it make me feel? Um, how did it damage me? Um, who was wrong? Who was at fault? What would I have expected? What would I have wanted to have happened if I would go back? What, what would I wish would have happened? And then now what? Now what do I do? And so I walked through that exercise. I actually, I share that exercise with my clients now. But that is what I did in regards to every big boulder that was in my life, um, things that I, I wasn't letting go of. And I had a conversation with my mom in regards to who was at fault and asking tough questions, um, the time, type of tough questions I would ask my clients today, tough questions of why, why was this allowed? Why was this allowed multiple times? Um, what were you thinking? Like, what was your mind space? Like, I really want to understand your mind space and just having the conversation. And I can honestly say that the conversation did not go the way that I would have wanted it to go. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I had worked through a lot of stuff and was very proud of myself, but my mom had not made it there. That she was not in a space where she was ready to face her herself, face her own stuff. I can't make her be in that spot. And that's the, that's the, I think there's beauty to it. Uh, that's, that's the part of the beauty of healing is that you are responsible for healing yourself, not for healing anybody else. However, you are responsible for giving them back any mess that they own and no longer carrying it. All of that is a part of healing. And so when I went through my healing journey, I learned that, that Fatima, you are not at fault. So to even feel like you owe a debt, you got to let that go. That is not true. You were not at fault. These parties were at fault and they need to own that. You will no longer own it. And so in that decision making, it was not popular, Vivian. It was not a popular decision. <laughs> yeah. But just like I said earlier, making yeah. decisions, even when you're scared, it, it was yeah. a scary decision to make. But I made the decision that I would no longer hold myself accountable for something that I could not mm -hmm. control. I was a 12 year old mm -hmm. and I had people, adults that were in my life. That, that should have been held accountable, not a 12-year-old. And so now that I am in my 40s, I should not be held accountable for something that happened to me at 12 because I shouldn't have been held accountable at 12, right? So really, really dissecting that situation and giving it to who, it, who, it deserved, who, it, who owned it. And then from there, honestly, when I worked through those type of scenarios in my life, I felt like when I reviewed it, when I reviewed everything that I had worked through, each individual boulder, and I looked at where I was, what God helped me to see, what I worked through, and where I was with that situation now, each one of those, I said, well, shoot, that's a book. And so from there, I wrote my book. 
And, um, and I found the freedom to speak up for myself. I found the freedom to, to say my voice matters. And I would not have found that freedom if I wouldn't have started talking. I made my voice matter when I started talking and telling people I would no longer hold on to this. But it was in th- through all of that that made me say, you know what? I matter. Fatima matters. I am the daughter of a prophet. And I will hold true to that. And I will stand, stand confident on that truth. And I will speak to whomever God tells me to speak to. It started with the book, really with the intention of um, giving my pain a voice and, and extending my therapy, but also speaking for those people who have not gained the courage to speak up for themselves. And, and then from there, it, it um, actually um, grew into me speaking to people individually and helping them with their own traumas and tragedies. And um, and speaking to you today. So I'm really excited about what where God has brought me. I'd listen to you over and over again for so many hours, <laughs> but I'd have to release you for now. But before we go, yes. there are some five questions I normally ask my guests. They are called the five questions of the world. What would be an advice that you would give your 18-year-old self? Jeez. I would give my 18-year-old self, do not marry that man. (laughs) (laughs) Do not marry him. (laughs) That is what I would tell my 18-year-old self. Going down, going down a rabbit hole if you marry him. (laughs) Yes. Okay, okay. What is an insult you ever received that you're proud of? Uh, Insult? Yes, an insult that you've ever received that you're proud of. Huh, okay, an insult that I have received that I'm proud of. Um, that I uh, that I am TMI, too much information, that I provide too much <laughs> <laughs> Because you know what, I'm okay with that. And I think mm-hmm. that, that I, number one, sharing is caring and that is my testimony. I have earned every right to share my testimony. I lived it. And yes. so I own those rights. It's copyrighted by me. And so I have the right to share um, whatever God has helped me to walk through and share it proudly and share it for somebody else so that they can walk through um, their own journeys with the encouragement that they can make it. Yeah. What is this one question that you wished I would ask and how would you have answered it? One question? Um, well, where do I, where, do, where can you get my book? <laughs> yes, please, where? <laughs> yeah, so you can definitely, your readers can definitely go to Amazon.com and purchase my book. The prescription is in the dirt. We talked about a lot concerning the book, but there's nothing like reading it. There's definitely some things that um, um, have not been shared in detail. And so I think it will be worth the read. Um, the prescription is in the dirt. It is on Amazon.com or you can go to my website, which is FatimaC.com. I love that book. 
and I'd recommend it to anyone. Please. Thank you. Thank you so much. Please do a review. Please do a review for me. I think you, you should be able to get it um, in your country. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. How can people find you online? Yeah. So I'm on social media and I am on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, you can definitely find me there. Just look up Fatima uh, C. Oliver or Fatima Oliver. But you can also, again, visit my website, Fatima C. F-A-T-I-M-A C dot com. And that's a quick way to get in touch with me, but also to see all the things that um, is there that's available to you and, and just what I'm what I'm up to. I want to put you on the spot. <laughs> you used to sing and you love music. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. What is this one song that really ministered to you through these seasons? Ugh. Um, okay. Ah! <laughs> that is on the spot. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, I love you, Lord. And I live my voice to worship you, oh my soul. Rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear, and let it be a sweet sweet sound in your ear. Ah! Wow. <laughs> oh my. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. <laughs> Appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I love you and I live Thank you. Thank you.